everyone. Welcome to the 23rd episode of our News Roundup podcast. This is going from November 29th to December 26th. So uh, about a month time frame here. Before we get started, this is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop. Home of the Thules, the tactical handbook for unit leaders available at megearco.com and Amazon as well. Also check out the Freelancers, which is a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters. You can find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com. Also check out Fortress International, which is a veteran-owned research and analysis firm based near Washington, D.C., You can find them on Twitter and Instagram at Fortress underscore INT and their website at FortressLLC.org. And with that being said, let's get into it. And we'll get started off with the COVID-19 numbers and news. Again, keep in mind, this is for about a a month-long period here, the 29th of November to December 26th. So... On the 29th, we had 62 million cases, 1.46 million deaths, and 40 million recoveries. Again, those are global numbers. And on the 26th of December, we had 80 million cases, 1.76 million deaths, and 45 million recoveries. There are two countries in the world with over 10 million cases, the U.S. and India. There are three countries with over 5 million cases the U.S., India, and Brazil, and there are 18 countries with over 1 million cases. The aforementioned countries, Russia, France, the United Kingdom, Turkey, Italy, Spain, Germany, Colombia, Argentina, Mexico, Poland, Iran, Ukraine, Peru, and South Africa in that order. There are also 28 countries with less than 1,000 cases, with the island nations of Samoa and Vanuatu recently reporting their first cases. There are 31 confirmed cases of reinfection worldwide. 27 of them have recovered so far. Three are still active, and one has passed away, an 89-year-old patient in the Netherlands. Out of those confirmed cases of reinfection, six are in India, four in the Netherlands, four in Qatar, four in Belgium, three in the U.S., Two in Brazil, one in Hong Kong, one in Sweden, one in Spain, one in Ecuador, one in South Korea, one in Peru, one in Mexico, and one in Israel. As of the 26th of December, over 4.2 million people have been vaccinated in seven countries, with Bahrain leading at 0.025% of the nation's 2018 population estimate being vaccinated. For vaccinations, as of the 26th, the U.S. had 1.9 million, China had 1 million, the United Kingdom had 625,000, Russia had 440,000, Israel had 210,000, Bahrain had 38,000, and Canada had 36,000. COVID-19 variant that was first discovered in the United Kingdom in October is beginning to spread rapidly around the world. I'm sorry, around the country and to other nations as well. The variant, which is known as VOC-202012-01, is said to spread much easier than the mainline variant of COVID-19, but does not appear to be deadlier. 
Multiple nations have banned travel and implemented other restrictions to stop the spread of the variant. As of the 26th, the variant was reported in Denmark, Belgium, the Netherlands, Australia, Italy, Singapore, Israel, Northern Ireland, Germany, Switzerland, Ireland, Japan, Canada, France, Lebanon, Spain, and Sweden. From that same time frame, the 29th to the 26th of December, uh, record cases were reported in Germany six times, in the United Kingdom six times, Tokyo six times, in California five times, Ontario five times, in Sweden five times, in South Korea five times, in Russia five times, in the United States as a whole three times, in Belarus three times, in Quebec three times, in Japan two times, in South Africa twice, the Netherlands twice, Alberta twice, New York twice, in Pennsylvania once, Vermont once, Massachusetts once, Tennessee once, Texas once, Illinois once, Arkansas once, Toronto once, Canada once, Indonesia once, and Malaysia once. Record deaths were reported in Germany eight times, Turkey six times, South Korea four times, Hungary four times, the United States as a whole three times, Indonesia three times, Russia twice, Alberta twice, Portugal once, British Columbia once, Saskatchewan once, Japan once, Italy once, and Illinois once. On the 29th, South Korea imposed new measures in the Seoul capital area due to a spike in new cases. This includes social distancing measures and the closure of saunas and steam rooms inside bathhouses for at least one week. New Year's Eve parties that are being organized by facilities such as hotels have been banned. And on the same day, the United Kingdom signed a deal with Moderna to receive another 2 million doses of its vaccine, bringing the total number to 7 million doses of the company's vaccine secured for the country. On the 30th, Welsh First Minister Mark Drakeford announced the closure of tourist attractions and a prohibition on indoor dining and the serving of alcohol in bars, pubs, and restaurants. The order will last until at least December 17th, and that order was extended. Croatian Prime Minister Andrei Plenkovic tested positive for the virus. He is said to be in good health. And on the same day as Turkey passed 500,000 cases, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan announced new restrictions on the country. A weeknight curfew is in place between the hours of 2100 and 0500, and a total weekend curfew is in place from 2100 Friday night to 0500 Monday morning, with grocery stores and food delivery services being exempt from that order. Turkey also recently resumed reporting all positive cases of COVID-19. For the past four months, it had only been reporting symptomatic cases, which has obviously led to highly inaccurate data. Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Sen banned wedding parties and gatherings of more than 20 people for at least 15 days after several cases of community transmission were reported in the country. The government of Hong Kong announced the closure of swimming pools and limited the number of public gatherings to two people for at least two weeks. Tokyo reported a total of 9,857 cases in the month of November, beating the previous record from August. Vietnam reported its first locally transmitted case in 89 days. 
and Moderna announced it would seek approval from the FDA after its vaccine showed an efficacy rate, excuse me, of 94%. And on December 1st, excuse me, Florida became the first state to pass 1 million cases after California and Texas. Oregon reported 24 COVID-related deaths, which was a single-day record. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves ordered a new mass mandate in 13 of the state's counties. This makes 54 of the state's 82 counties under a current mask mandate. The Canadian Territory of Yukon imposed a mask mandate for the first time. Jakarta's Governor Anise Baswadan tested positive for the virus. He is still carrying out the duties of his office, but is in isolation. The leader of Hamas in the Gaza Strip, Yahas Sinwar, tested positive. He is said to be in good health. Next day on the 2nd, the United States passed 14 million confirmed cases and Poland passed 1 million confirmed cases. New Mexico passed 100,000 cases. German Chancellor Angela Merkel and the leaders of 16 German states agreed to extend the nation's partial lockdown until January 10th. The number of hospitalizations, excuse me, in one day hit 100,000 in the United States. And former French President Valéry Giscard, who served from 1974 to 1981, died due to complications from the virus. The United Kingdom became the first nation in the world to authorize the use of Pfizer's vaccine to combat the virus, which is obviously a big milestone. Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered a large-scale vaccination program to begin in his country by December 12th. Teachers and doctors will be the first to receive the country's Sputnik V vaccine, and the vaccine will be free of charge and voluntary. And lastly, on the second, Japan's upper house of its legislature, which is the House of Counselors, passed a law that ensures free vaccinations to all of the country's 126 million residents. And on December 3rd, Greece extended its nationwide lockdown until at least December 14th. The number of virus-related deaths worldwide passed 1.5 million. Iran passed 1 million confirmed cases. The United Kingdom passed 60,000 virus-related deaths. And the U.S. passed 275,000 virus-related deaths. Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte banned interregional travel between December 21st and January 6th, except for work and emergencies. Chilean President Sebastian Panera extended the state of emergency in the country until at least March 13th, 2021. And lastly, on the 3rd, Moderna announced that they expect to have anywhere from 100 to 125 million doses of its vaccine delivered to countries around the world during the first quarter of 2021. Next, on the 4th, Bahrain granted emergency use of Pfizer's vaccine, becoming the second country to do so after the United Kingdom. The country also granted use of the Chinese company Sinopharm's vaccine for, quote, frontline workers back in November. And Canada surpassed 400,000 confirmed cases of the virus. And next, on the 5th, Pfizer announced that it submitted their vaccine for approval in India. According to T.K. Paul, who is an advisor to the Indian government, it typically takes up to 90 days to get a vaccine approved in the country, but that approval could come quicker given the current circumstances. And on the same day, Iran passed 50,000 COVID-related deaths. Next, on the 6th, 
Indonesia received its first shipment of 1.2 million doses of Chinese company Sinovac's vaccine. The country expects to get another 1.8 million doses by the end of January. The vaccine still had to be approved by the nation's Food and Drug Administration, known as the BPOM, as of the 6th. And Italy passed 60,000 COVID-related deaths, and the number of Americans with the virus inside the ICU reached 20,000. Next day, on the 7th, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau stated that the country will receive 240 doses of Pfizer's vaccine by the end of the year. Retired General Rick Hillier, who heads Ontario's Vaccine Distribution Task Force, expects the province to get enough doses for 42,500 people by the end of the month and also expects 1.2 million people in the province to be vaccinated by the end of the first quarter 2021. On the 10th, Argentine President Alberto Fernandez announced that the purchase of 10 million doses of Russia's Sputnik V vaccine. He also stated that he will be the first to receive it to prove that it's safe. The first shipments will, arri will arrive excuse me, before the end of the year. And Saudi Arabia approved the Pfizer vaccine for use. South Korea passed 40,000 confirmed cases and the U.S. passed 290,000 virus-related deaths. Next day on the 11th, the FDA authorized emergency use for the Pfizer vaccine in the United States, and Mexico also announced emergency use for the same vaccine. Egypt received its first shipment of 50,000 doses of Sinopharm's vaccine, making it the first African country to do so, and Malaysia passed 80,000 confirmed cases. Next day on the 12th, Florida passed 20,000 COVID-related deaths. The United States passed 16 million confirmed cases. And Bangladesh passed 7,000 related deaths as well. The worldwide death toll on this day passed 1.6 million. And the Australian state, Victoria, reported its first case in more than 40 days. On the 13th, the first shipment of the Pfizer vaccine arrived in Canada. Kuwait granted emergency authorization for that same vaccine, and North Dakota reported no deaths relating to the virus for the first time since September 20th. On the 14th, Singapore approved the Pfizer vaccine for use. The country expects to receive its first shipments of the vaccine by the end of the year and plans to vaccinate 5.7 million people by the end of the first quarter 2021. On the same day, the number of Americans hospitalized with the virus reached 110,000. COVID-related deaths in the U.S. passed 300,000. The first vaccinations began in the United States, with a nurse in New York City being the first to receive it. And West Virginia Governor Jim Justice also received the vaccine, becoming one of the first elected officials in the U.S. to do so. A new mutated variant of the virus was discovered in the U.K., which we talked about before. And Prime Minister of the Netherlands, Mark Root, imposed a five-week lockdown, closing gyms, schools, and non-essential shops in the country until at least January 19th. Delhi, India, passed 10,000 virus-related deaths. And on the 15th, Morocco passed 400,000 confirmed cases. On the 16th, South Carolina Congressman Joe Wilson tested positive and separately Secretary of the Interior David Bernhard did as well. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo went into quarantine after coming into contact with Secretary Bernhardt. Both Bernhardt and Wilson are said to be asymptomatic. 
were said to be asymptomatic, excuse me. And on the same day, former Swiss president Flavio Cote died of the virus. He was 81 years old, and he also served as the country's minister of interior and the foreign ministry. In Alaska, two healthcare workers that received the Pfizer vaccine had severe allergic reactions. They were treated overnight with steroids and have both since recovered. The same such reaction was reported in Britain by two healthcare workers as well. And Michigan passed 11,000 COVID related deaths. On the 17th, French President Emmanuel Macron tested positive for the virus. The prime ministers of Belgium, Luxembourg, Spain, and Portugal as well as the president of the European Council went into quarantine after coming into contact with Macron. The United States passed 17 million confirmed cases and a new outbreak in Northern Beaches, New South Wales, Australia reached 17 cases. Western Australia and Queensland reimposed border restrictions on New South Wales to try and stop the spread of the outbreak. Mayor of Kharkiv, Ukraine, Hennedy Kearns, died due to virus complications after he contracted the virus back in September. And the Palestinian Authority imposed a two-week lockdown in the West Bank, closing schools, restaurants, and gyms to stop the spread of the virus. Saudi Arabia began its vaccination campaign with Pfizer's vaccine. More than 150,000 people have registered to receive the vaccine. And the first stage of this campaign will see those over the age of 65 frontline workers and those with immune deficiencies receive the vaccine. And on the 18th, a new variant of COVID-19 was discovered in South Africa. The variant named 501.V2 is attributed to a new wave of infections in the country. Officials say that it's prevalent in younger people with no underlying conditions and is deadlier than the mainline variant of the virus. The virus was brought back, I'm sorry, the virus was brought to the United Kingdom by two travelers no later than December 23rd. So it's in the UK as well. On the same day, Vice President Mike Pence, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Congressman Jim Clyburn and Surgeon General Jerome Adams all received the Pfizer vaccine. President Trump, who recovered from the virus in October, will receive it at, quote, the appropriate time. The FDA granted emergency use authorization to Moderna's vaccine. This makes the second vaccine to be granted such use in the U.S. And according to Dr. Peter Marks, an FDA official, this also makes the U.S. the first country to authorize two vaccines that show, quote, clear and compelling efficacy. The first round of vaccines began on Monday, the 21st. Minnesota State Senator Jerry Ralph died due to COVID complications. Ralph went into quarantine on November 10th after coming into contact with colleagues that had the virus. He served in the state Senate from 2016 and is also a Marine Corps Vietnam veteran. Austrian Chancellor Sebastian Kurz announced that the country will go into a third lockdown starting on December 26th. However, those that test negative between January 15th and January 17th will be allowed to enter shops and restaurants. The lockdown will last until at least January 24th. And Slovakian Prime Minister Igor Makovich tested positive for the virus. He urged all citizens of his country to take the virus seriously following the test result. 
Former president of Burundi, Pierre Bagoya, died due to virus complications and Malaysia passed 90,000 confirmed cases. On the 19th, United Kingdom Prime Minister Boris Johnson introduced Tier 4 restrictions in London and Southeast England. Households in those areas were banned from mixing during the holiday season, while in the rest of the country, the mixing of households was only allowed on Christmas Day. In addition, non-essential businesses were closed, and this came as the UK passed 2 million confirmed cases. China announced that it will soon begin a virus, I'm sorry, a vaccine drive to cover workers in the sectors of transportation, healthcare, and border control. Few details were given, and it's been reported that over 1 million people in the country have already been vaccinated after companies Sinovac and Sinopharm received emergency approval for their vaccines back in July. Additionally, the Chinese company Sansino has been giving its vaccine to military personnel. The Swiss government authorized the use of Pfizer's vaccine in the country. This makes the first ordinary authorization of Pfizer's vaccine as opposed to emergency authorizations, which had been happening before. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu became the first person in the country to receive the Pfizer vaccine. Health Minister Yoli Edelstein also received it shortly after. The country hopes to vaccinate as many as 2 million people by the end of January next year. And India passed 10 million confirmed cases, Turkey passed 2 million, and Canada passed 500,000. Also, Portugal passed 6,000 COVID-related deaths, and Russia passed 50,000 COVID-related deaths. On the 20th, the Canadian territory of Nunavut tested, I'm sorry, reported its first two virus-related deaths, and Qatar authorized the Pfizer vaccine for emergency use. On the 21st, the European Medicines Agency authorized emergency use of the Pfizer vaccine in the United, I'm sorry, in the European Union. And Indonesia passed 20,000 virus-related deaths. And the first case of COVID-19 was reported in Antarctica at a Chilean research base. The virus has now spread to each of the world's seven continents. On the 22nd, it was announced that overall deaths in the United States were projected to pass 3 million, mostly due to the pandemic. This would make 2020 the deadliest year in U.S. history. And on the same day, Peru passed 1 million confirmed cases of the virus. On the 23rd, vaccinations began in Switzerland and Qatar. Italy passed 70,000 virus-related deaths, and the U.S. passed 325,000 virus-related deaths. On the 24th, vaccinations began in Chile, Mexico, and Serbia. California and Italy passed 2 million confirmed cases. Ukraine passed 1 million. Malaysia passed 100,000. The number of Americans hospitalized with the virus reached 120,000 on the 24th. On the 25th, Kyrgyzstan passed 80,000 cases and the UK passed 75,000 virus-related deaths. And lastly, on the 26th, Spain received its first shipment of the Pfizer vaccine in the city of Guadalajara. Vaccine campaign began on the next day, the 27th. And we will move on to space. On December 6th, SpaceX launched a new spaceship, the Cargo Dragon 2, to the International Space Station to supply astronauts with things like spare parts and science equipment. 
the unmanned ship flew itself all the way to the ISS dock ports, and this makes SpaceX's 21st supply mission to the space station. On the 16th, according to the Chinese National Space Administration, the Chang'e 5 spacecraft returned to Earth carrying samples of lunar rock from the surface of Mars. The mission was land launched excuse me, back in November, and this is the first time lunar samples have been brought back to Earth since the Cold War. And on the 22nd, the Long March 8 launch vehicle conducted its maiden flight from China's Wenchang spacecraft launch site, carrying a payload of five satellites. This is China's last space mission of 2020 after the Chang'e 5 mission and the country's first independent mission to Mars back in July. The country hopes to complete an inhabited space station by 2022 and by 2045, aims to be operating thousands of space flights a year, carrying both passengers and cargo. And we'll move on to Europe. In Slovenia, on November 30th, the country's government formally declared Lebanese Hezbollah a terrorist organization. This makes the country the sixth EU country to do so, and the EU as a whole has banned the group's military wing from operating in Europe, but not its political wing. It's worth noting that Hezbollah does not operate in separate wings, so banning the group's military wing means absolutely nothing because it's all one group whatever in turkey on december 14th secretary of state mike pompeo announced the imposing of u.s sanctions on turkey due to the country's purchase of the russian s-400 anti-air missile system these sanctions were imposed through the countering america's adversaries through sanctions act otherwise known as the caatsa this is the first time the act has been used against a U.S. ally. Turkey is, for some reason, a NATO country. Turkey has been at odds with multiple NATO nations for years for various reasons, such as the purchase of the S-400, actions in the Mediterranean, actions in Syria, and their involvement in the Second Karabakh War. These sanctions were condemned by NATO and Iran. In Russia on the 11th, a suicide bombing in the Northern Caucasus Republic of Karachevo, Cherkaresa. Oof, I'm sure that was butchered. A bombing injured five FSB officers and at least one civilian. The bomber targeted the regional headquarters of the Federal Security Service, FSB, and according to officials, the man shouted, quote, Allahu Akbar, before detonating his bomb. The FSB and the National Anti-Terrorism Committee said that they have prevented 41 terrorist attacks in Russia in 2020. Moving on to the Nagorno-Karabakh situation, protests demanding the resignation of Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan still continue in the capital of Yerevan. On December 2nd, Armenia announced that it will drop some martial law restrictions that were imposed during the war. This includes restrictions on protest and the media publishing when reporting on military activity. On the same day, for the first time since the beginning of the war, Azerbaijan officially announced the death toll of its troops at 2,783. At the time of the announcement, more than 100 troops were still listed as missing in action. 
On the 9th, two Azerbaijani troops were killed in the Kalbajar district by an anti-personnel mine that was placed sometime during the war. On the 11th, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said that Russian President Vladimir Putin supported his idea for a regional security platform that could involve their two countries, along with Azerbaijan, Iran, Georgia, and Armenia. Spoiler alert, I would not expect this to happen anytime soon because Georgia and Russia are at odds, Armenia and Azerbaijan are at odds, they're also at odds with Turkey. None of this makes sense. None of it is going to happen. Ever. Won't happen. All right. Multiple small-scale clashes were reported in the region throughout mid-December, excuse me. According to Azeri officials, attacks were initiated by Armenian holdouts and led to the deaths of at least four soldiers and left at least three others wounded. On December 14th, the first exchange of POWs took place between the two sides from November 13th to this date. The bodies of 828 Armenian troops were found all throughout the region. It's not known if they're included in Armenia's official death toll or not. On the 15th, the Ziri troops conducted a, quote, counter-terror raid between the villages of Hintagar and Katsabird in Nagorno-Karabakh. Armenian officials accuse Azerbaijan of violating the ceasefire agreement, while Azeri officials claim that the two villages fall under their control as part of the November 10th agreement. Four Armenian soldiers were killed in the assault, the first combat casualties since the ceasefire was signed on November 10th, the first combat casualties for Armenia, I should say. And videos shared by Azeri sources show anywhere from 60 to 160 Armenian prisoners of war taken after the raid. Armenian military holdouts are still spread out all over the territory that was handed to Azerbaijan as part of that ceasefire agreement. And clashes are still ongoing between the two sides. Moving on to Asia in Indonesia on November 30th, the United Liberation Movement for West Papua, otherwise known as the ULMWP, declared a government-in-waiting and nominated Benny Wenda as its interim president. The region has been faced with a separatist movement ever since the Indonesian military took it over in 1962. Papua was a Dutch colony until 1961 and was then annexed by Indonesia the year after. Casualty estimates in the conflict to establish a separate West Papua are anywhere from 100 to 500,000, and the formation of the government in waiting comes after numerous accusations of violence against civilians by Indonesian security forces. In Sri Lanka on the 30th, eight inmates were killed and 59 others were injured when guards opened fire during a prison riot in the town of Mahara. The riot was reportedly sparked by a surge in COVID-19 cases in the country's overcrowded prisons. And in Australia, since there's only one story on Australia this time around, I included that in Asia. Figured it's the closest thing. On the 17th, a knife-wielding man excuse me, in Brisbane broke into a home and killed two elderly people. He was later shot dead after attempting to attack police officers. 
Authorities identified the man as a 22-year-old who was inspired by the Islamic State. He was arrested back in 2019 for trying to join the group in Somalia. However, he was released due to insufficient evidence. And moving on to the Middle East, in Afghanistan, targeted assassinations plagued the country throughout the month. On the 29th, a car bomb exploded at a compound of the Afghan Public Protection Force, APPF, in Ghazni province, killing at least 30 Afghan security force members and wounding another 24. The Taliban neither confirmed nor denied responsibility. The APPF is a state-owned enterprise that falls under the Interior Ministry and serves almost similar to a private security contractor. Also on the 29th, at least three civilians were killed and 23 others were wounded when a suicide bomber targeted the head of Zabul's provincial council, who was also wounded in the attack. No group claimed responsibility for that. It, actually, while, while I'm at it, as far as these targeted assassinations go that I'm going to talk about here, no group claimed responsibility for any of them. On the 5th, Belgium announced the withdrawal of all its troops from the country in 2021. The country has about 70 personnel deployed to advise and assist the Afghan security forces. And this comes as the U.S. plans to withdraw 2,500 troops from the country in January. By January, actually, I should say. And on the 11th, at least 10 rockets were fired towards Kabul, targeting the areas of the airport. PD-9 and PD-15. One person was killed and two others were wounded. And on the 15th, a targeted attack in Kabul killed Kabul province's deputy governor, his secretary, and at least one other person. In a separate attack in the city, an unknown gunman ambushed two policemen, killing one. And on the same day, unknown gunman killed government prosecutor Hashmutala the kick Malkazada in the city's PD-15 area. So that's all in Kabul on the same day. Also on the same day in Gore province, the head of the provincial council, Abdul Rahman, was killed when his vehicle hit a magnetic IED. And on the 16th, militants attacked a security checkpoint in Baglan province, killing at least 13 Afghan police officers Several vehicles, including an armored personnel carrier, were destroyed by the attackers. And lastly, on the 18th in Ghazni province, a group of children attempted to sell a piece of unexploded ordnance to a local vendor. The ordnance exploded, killing 15 children and injuring another 20. Moving on to Iraq, on the 30th, Iraqi officials announced the death of an Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps commander and three others in a drone strike near the border with Syria. It's not known who is responsible for the attack. The commander's vehicle was hit as it crossed into Syria, carrying weapons, presumably going to Iranian-backed militias in the country. On the 10th, former Iraqi Prime Minister Hadar al-Abadi stated that the U.S. military had the, quote, green light to carry out the drone strike that killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani at the beginning of the year. And on the 20th, 21 rockets were launched to the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad overnight by a, quote, outlaw group, as described by the Iraqi government. Counter-rocket artillery and mortar systems, otherwise known as CRAM, 
engaged the rockets, but at least eight of the 21 rockets impacted inside the green zone. At least one Iraqi soldier was injured and multiple buildings were damaged. President Trump tweeted a picture showing three rockets that failed to launch, and they appear to be 170 Miller Hashib rockets made in Iran. U.S. CENTCOM has stated with confidence that Iranian-backed Shia militias are responsible for the attack, and it also comes days before the one-year anniversary of Shia militia Qatab Hezbollah's attack on the U.S. Embassy. And on the 23rd, President Trump threatened to hold Iran responsible if any Americans are killed in Iraq. And on the same day, national security advisors met at the White House to discuss a range of options to deter Iran from attacking U.S. troops and assets in the area. Few details from that meeting were released. And in Iran, on the 14th, the U.S. formally accused two officers of Iran's Ministry of Intelligence and Security of abducting and likely killing FBI agent Robert A. Levinson in 2007 in Iran's Kish Island. The Iranian government has denied any involvement in Levinson's disappearance. However, the U.S. Treasury Department says that Mohammad Basari and Ahmed Kazazi acted in the, their official capacity as officers of the MOIS and abducted Levinson. Basari is a senior officer in charge of counter-espionage activities in and outside of Iran, and Kazazi is a senior officer that at one point has led MLIS groups to other countries to assess security situations. In Saudi Arabia, on the 30th, following high-level talks between the White House and Saudi officials, Saudi Arabia allowed Israeli commercial flights over its airspace for the first time in history. This comes after Israel reached normalization deals with the UAE and Bahrain earlier this year. Some speculate that Saudi Arabia could soon sign off on its own deal. And in Israel on the 10th, former director of space programs of Israel's Ministry of Defense, retired Brigadier General Haim Ashed claimed that, quote, the U.S. and Israel have been dealing with aliens for a long time but they remain a secret because humanity isn't ready, end quote. He claimed that aliens have their own, quote, galactic federation and have agreements with the U.S. government to conduct research on Earth. He also stated that President Trump was about to reveal the existence of aliens. However, the federation pleaded with him not to do so, saying, quote, wait, let the people calm down first. Think of that what you will. On the 26th, the Israeli Air Force carried out air raids in the Gaza Strip in retaliation to rockets launched into Israel overnight. The raids cut power to Gaza's east, and the Israeli Defense Forces said they hit a military post, a rocket manufacturing site, and underground infrastructure. Hamas claimed that Israeli jets hit a children's hospital and wounded two civilians. Israel rejects those claims, saying that damage and injuries to civilians were caused by the detonation of munitions belonging to Hamas. And we will take a quick break and we'll be back with Africa. (laughs) 
We're back with Africa in Western Sahara. Officially, the conflict between Morocco and the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic is still ongoing over the territory of Western Sahara. However, the last clash between the two was reported on November 18th. So uh, not a lot of information is coming out of there. Um, so if I don't start getting a little bit of information here soon, then I'm just not going to report on it because there's really no point. In Mali on the 30th, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb carried out three separate rocket attacks on French military bases in the cities of Gao, Kadal, and Manaka. No casualties were reported as a result of the strikes. And on the 3rd, the UK announced a deployment of 300 troops to the country as part of the UN's peacekeeping mission to the area. The deployment will last three years and join roughly 14,000 other UN troops to engage in reconnaissance operations around the city of Gao. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has stressed that this is not a counterterrorism mission, but UK forces will respond accordingly if attacked. In Nigeria on November 29th, the death toll from the uh, day prior's attack on a farm in Jerry Borno State rose to 110 after more bodies were found and some victims died of wounds that they suffered. The attack was attributed to Boko Haram, and this makes the incident one of the deadliest terrorist attacks on civilians in Nigeria in 2020. In Egypt on December 17th, two roadside bombs near the Sinai town of Sheikh Zawid killed three Egyptian soldiers and wounded 10 others. A separate raid by Egyptian forces in the town killed four Islamic militants, and government forces have been fighting an Islamist insurgency in the Sinai Peninsula for going on 10 years. In the Central African Republic, on the 21st, Rwanda deployed a, quote, protection force to the CAR in preparation for nationwide elections in which former President Francois Bozizé is attempting to take part in. Bozizé is accused of leading a new coalition of rebel groups that was recently formed to defeat the incumbent government. The country has been locked in a civil war since late 2012, which led to the creation and deployment of the UN Multidimensional Integrated Stabilization Mission in the CAR, otherwise known as MINUSCA and involvement by other countries, including France and Russia. The new rebel coalition, the Coalition of Patriots for Change, CPC, has gained momentum in recent days and is looking to make key gains during the election season. According to MINUSCA officials, the CPC's advantage, I'm sorry, advance has been halted. Additionally, CAR officials stated that Russia, like Rwanda, has also sent a force of about 300 troops to advise and assist government forces in their fight. Russia hasn't commented on these claims. However, multiple photos and videos are being shared across social media of units from Russian private military contractor Wagner Group conducting patrols in coordination with the government and UN forces. In Somalia, on November 30th, Al-Shabaab fighters attacked a military base in the city of Baladwain killing 21 people. 51 militants were also killed during that attack, and six Al-Shabaab fighters were captured during that attack. On the 4th, President Donald Trump ordered a withdrawal of almost all U.S. military assets in the country, including troops, by January 15th. 
Department of Defense officials said that there are some 700 or so troops in Somalia, and they will be redeployed to neighboring countries to allow for cross-border operations to fight against groups like Al-Shabaab. And on the 18th, the suicide bomber killed seven civilians and three Somali soldiers in the city of Galkeo. Prime Minister Mohammed Hussein Robol was set to make an address at a stadium close to where the bomb was detonated. Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility, stating that its primary target was the prime minister. And in Ethiopia, the war between Ethiopia and its Tigray region still continues. On the 29th, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, claimed that its forces had shot down a MiG-23 fighter jet of the Ethiopian Air Force. The group also said that the pilot of the fighter was captured and in the same press release said its forces retook the town of Aksum from federal troops. On the 29th, the same day, Ethiopian State News reported that a mass grave with 70 bodies was discovered in the city of Humera in Tigray. This information has been difficult to verify along with much information from that area due to a communications interaction excuse me, communications and internet blackout. And on the same day, rumors that TPLF leader Debretsen Gerber-Michael is hiding in South Sudan were followed by Ethiopia reportedly expelling all South Sudanese diplomats from the country and the recall of Ethiopia's ambassador to the country. And on the first, Karia Ibrahim, which is one of the nine members of the TPLF Central Committee and former Speaker of the House of the Federation surrendered herself to federal forces. On the third, doctors at McKellie's main hospital stated that federal forces had killed at least 27 civilians and injured 100 more in their assault on the city last month. Those deaths were attributed to multiple causes such as artillery barrages on civilian areas and looting in the city by armed men. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, who won a Nobel Peace Prize last year, has denied all claims of civilian injuries and deaths by his forces. On the 5th, federal troops claimed that they had captured Getachew Reda, who is a spokesperson for the TPLF, on the charge of treason. On the 7th, arrest warrants were issued for 10 senior police officers in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, on charges of treason. The officers are accused of working for the TPLF. On the 8th, the federal government announced that its forces fired upon and detained a UN humanitarian team after they allegedly ignored two military checkpoints. The UN said that they were engaging with the highest levels of the Ethiopian government to express concerns, while the latter stated that they didn't need a, quote, UN babysitter to get involved in the conflict. And on the 9th, the UN stated that they had received reports of fighting near Mekele, Aksum, and Shararo. They also said they had received verified reports of human rights abuses and forced conscription of Tigrayans by the TPLF. In relation to human rights abuses, they specified that information received detailed attacks against civilians, looting, and sexual crimes. On the 10th, the U.S. Department of State, I'm sorry, a U.S. State Department spokesperson said that the department had credible reports of Eritrean troops being deployed to fight against the TPLF inside Tigray. An article that was written by Ms. Finn Hagos, who is a former Eritrean defense minister, 
published in African Arguments, claimed that he had credible information that his country has deployed four mechanized divisions, seven infantry divisions, and a commando brigade in Ethiopia. On the 14th, flights to the Tigray region resumed and civil servants went back to work in the area. Power and cell service was restored in Mekele and six other towns. However, throughout the rest of the region, it's still down. However, there were reports of hikes in the price of food and gasoline and water shortages in the region. On the 15th, the chief executive of Tigray's transitional government, Mulu Nega, announced that members of the Tigray opposition parties would be given positions in the regional government and door-to-door searches of civilian homes began after the populace was ordered to disarm. On the same day, Sudanese officials claimed that several of their troops were killed inside Sudan's territory when they were ambushed by Ethiopian forces. Farmers from the region of Amhara claim the Al-Faska Plain, which is in Sudanese territory. It's possible that the troops were ambushed by Amhara militias loyal to the federal government. Federal officials did not comment on those claims. On the 18th, Ethiopia put out an offer of a $250,000 reward for any information leading to the capture of TPLF officials including the group's leader, Debretzen Gerber Michael. On November 13th, arrest warrants were issued for Gerber Michael and 63 other TPLF leaders. It isn't clear if the reward applies to all of those leaders. On the same day, clashes were reported between special forces units of both the Afar and Amhara regions. Little details were given into that. On the 19th, the Sudanese army and the rapid support forces retook some areas previously captured by Ethiopian forces. Sudan claimed to have captured Eritrean troops dressed in the uniforms of Amharam Special Forces in the assault. A report released by the European External Program with Africa stated that three Egyptian officials and one European diplomat claimed UAE forces launched drones against the TPLF from one of their bases inside Eritrea. Investigative site Bellingcat confirmed the president's the presence, excuse me, of the specific drone type allegedly used at the base. If this is true, this brings yet another country into the conflict and heightens the potential of igniting a wider conflict in the Horn of Africa. And on the same day, U.S. Senators Booker of New Jersey and Young of Indiana released a joint statement saying, quote, the conflict in Ethiopia remains far from over. Despite Prime Minister Abiy's claim that military operations are complete, we are deeply concerned by reports of Eritrean refugees in Tigray being killed, abducted, and forcibly returned to Eritrea by Eritrean forces, as well as disturbing reports that some are trying to reach safe areas and are being prevented from leaving. They also noted that the, quote, internationalization of the conflict is a threat to U.S. interests and called on Ethiopia to abide by its commitments. And on the 21st, a witness that was interviewed by The Guardian said that Eritrean troops were actually spearheading main offensives in Tigray, with Ethiopian troops taking a secondary role. He also stated that Eritrean troops were heavily engaged in executing civilians, looting, and arson. He did say after a while, Ethiopian troops stepped in to stop the executions. However, looting and arson was still allowed. 
And we'll end it here with the United States. On the 16th, Kolo Abdi Abdullah was charged with six counts, including providing material support to a foreign terrorist organization, conspiracy to commit aircraft piracy, and conspiracy to kill U.S. citizens. He was arrested in 2019 in the Philippines after federal prosecutors allege he attended a flight school in the country for two years at the direction of a senior Al-Shabaab commander. They believe Abdullah planned to hijack a commercial airliner and commit a 9-11-style attack in a major U.S. city. They also believe that the Al-Shabaab planner also planned the 2019 Nairobi Hotel attack that killed 21 people, including a U.S. citizen that survived 9-11. Abdullah has pled innocent to all charges. And on the same day, six men were formally indicted by a federal grand jury in charges relating to the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Adam Fox, Caleb Franks, Ty Garbin, Brandon Caserta, Daniel Harris, Barry Croft were all arrested two months ago on the allegations that they planned to kidnap Governor Whitmer and hold her for ransom or leave her in the middle of Lake Michigan. All defendants were charged with one count of kidnapping conspiracy, which carries a maximum life sentence, and they range from ages 24 to 44. Prosecutors say the men were part of a larger group of 14, quote, anti-government militants. The plot was discovered and stopped because of paid informants and undercover agents embedded in the group. And the last story we got on the 25th at 0630 local time in downtown Nashville, an RV exploded in what investigators now believe may have been a suicide bombing. A verbal warning played from the RV for 15 minutes prior to the explosion warning people in the area of the upcoming explosion. And police on the scene were able to evacuate the area, and thankfully only three people suffered minor injuries from that blast. The explosion caused damage to multiple buildings, including an AT&T facility, which caused major uh, service outages, including cell service, internet, and 911 networks. The FBI, ATF, and local law enforcement were dispatched to investigate the event, the downtown riverfront was evacuated and placed on a three-day curfew. The FAA imposed a five-day national defense airspace notice one nautical mile around the blast area. Under that notice, the use of deadly forces authorized on any aircraft violating that airspace. The FBI identified 63-year-old Anthony Quinn Warner, a resident of a nearby suburb, as a person of interest. It's now been determined that Warner was killed in the explosion. However, no motive has yet been found. And like I said, that's all I got for you guys. So I want to thank everyone for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast. If you listen to podcasts on it, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate, all one word. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays with their families. And that's all I got for you guys. We'll see you around.